What does Colgate mean by live life to the brightest? Could it be a rich glass of red sipped inside a Parisian cafe on a snowy night when my gaze is met by a tall, mysterious... I mean, brushing is directed with Colgate Optic White Pro Series Toothpaste gives you a visibly whiter smile in just three days so you can live life to the brightest and finish that glass without worrying about teeth stains. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the EDH Retcast, where we're all about commander, data, and dad jokes. I'm Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. Up first, he puts the win in AOWIN, it's Matt Morgan. Joey, what is the difference between toilet paper and curtains? I don't know. Oh, so it was you. So I will be sending you a cleaning bill <laughs> and uh, I will expect payment very promptly. I thought it was the dog. Wow. You're, oh never, coming to, my. you're never coming to my house again. Holy crap. Literally. Wow. Right. <laughs> and it's come full circle right there. I, I think like we, should I just wipe, we should just wipe this from our memory and uh, <laughs> let's, let's move on. Yep, yep, let's move on. Well played, Matt. Okay, up next, he puts the AO in AON. It's Dana Roach. Uh, why did Humpty Dumpty have a great fall? <laughs> I have no idea, Dana. <laughs> he had to make up for his hot, miserable summer. Joey's like a, a real life ginger brew. You just, you're never going to catch this, like, catch the joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I think I was just like so completely demolished by what you did, Matt, that I'm just like, I, I honestly, my brain's going to be completely off the rails for this episode. So like, Matt, I have forgotten at this point, what is it that we're actually talking about in this podcast episode this week? Well, well this week, we're going to talk about cards that we wish we had more decks to play them in or more opportunities because they're fun cards and we like them, but we just don't ever have a chance to put them in very many decks. Yeah, I wish I had a deck for this, the episode. Cards that we want to build around, but we just don't have a place to put them yet. And maybe that might inspire us about like potential decks that we could put these into. I think it'll be a, a whole lot of fun, but we've got some shoutouts to do before we get to it. First, I want to thank Chase, also known as Manicurves, for help editing the show. You can find them on Twitter at Manicurves. Also, do you know Coalesce Apparel? You should. They make some amazing magic-themed merch. If you want an Atraxa shirt that attracts attention, check them out. And of course, check out the EDHREC collection while you're there. But no matter what you get, make sure you use code EDHREC at checkout for 10% off your order. 
And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so by liking, subscribing to this video on YouTube, subscribing to the local podcast app, leaving a review on your podcast app, or by going to patreon.com slash EDHRetCast, where we have patron tiers of all sorts of levels, where you can hear me own Joey so publicly <laughs> a day earlier than all of your friends. You can do that and more over at patreon.com slash EDHRetCast, including the weekly patron shout out. So this week, we are going to give a very special thank you to Daniel Murta. So Daniel... um. Hopefully you don't murder your friends with the spell murder. Oh, no. Matt. Uh, there, there was a player for Kansas State basketball back in the early 2000s whose name was Jermaine Maybank, who went by murder. I don't know why he called himself that. But uh, Daniel, either way, thank you for reminding me that Jermaine Maybank <laughs> is an obscure basketball player from the early 2000s. Thank you. Thank you so much, Daniel. Uh, I, I think that we can say that, you, Matt, with your opening joke, you committed a murder on me. Um, and I'm also sure that Daniel has never heard any jokes at the expense of his last name ever before. So, Daniel, we really do appreciate you. Thank you for putting up with us. I, I've done so many murders in this opener that I might get locked in an obliute oh, for uh, all my crimes. Brutal, Matt. Oh, no. Yeah. So I, how I about know. the episode? How about that episode? Honestly, no, you're inspiring me. Like, maybe we should have an episode just about all the stuff we've mis mispronounced <laughs> over the we, years. We very much could. It'd be a long one. Uh, Dana, how about we uh, get, get get the show kicked <laughs> off? Um, what's a card that you wish you had a deck for? Like, you love this card, but you don't currently have a place to put it. Um, the card would be Amanatu's Augury. It's an eight-mana sorcery, six blue-blue. Um, exile the top eight cards of your library. You may pull a land card from among them out of the battlefield. And until the end of the turn, for each non-land card type, you may cast a card of that type from among the exiled cards without paying its mana cost. And, and, you know, technically this card has gotten even better now that we have battles out there that just gives you one more card type you could you can possibly hit here. Oh. Um, it, it's one of those things, though, where, like, whenever I've tried it, I just don't have any blue decks that really have the correct mix of cards that consistently get enough value out of it to justify putting it into a deck. You know, either I just don't have planeswalkers or battles in that particular deck, or like I look at it, I'm like, well, there's only three enchantments and there's only, mm. you know, 15 creatures. And like, it just never feels like I, I have a deck where the distribution is such that I can justify running it and, and believing I'm going to regularly get that eight mana worth of value out of it. See, I just want to point out that eight mana for blue to exile eight cards and maybe get a land. That just shows how bad of a rate mono blue gets when it comes to ramp spells. <laughs> <Right>. Wow, <laughs> that's my takeaway. And, and the, rea the reality is, I mean, like you're gonna so you're gonna get a land every time, and you're you know you're probably gonna get two spells out of it. But like it's very given how blue tends to functions too. You know, your your instants might wind up all being counter spells, or they might wind up being a you know brainstorm esque draw spell. Heck, you could hit that for your sorcery as well. Blue's creatures, you know, unless you're running a really specific kind of deck, tend to not have that high casting cost either. Like it's it's just the kind of mm. kind of card that at least in the decks that I tend to play, I could very easily see myself, you know, casting it and then walking away with a land and an arcane signet and a brainstorm, and that just doesn't feel good. No, I, I do feel you on that one. I actually do have this in a deck of my own. I have it in my Yannette Cryptic Sovereign deck because that deck is all about top deck manipulation. So it's pretty easy mm -hmm. for me to actually like brainstorm and put two very high cost things on top and make sure that even just with the top two cards of the deck, I know that I'm going to get like the Angel of the Ruins, which can count as my artifact because it's an artifact creature. And I'll flip other an amazing like an Angel of Despair and a bunch of other cool stuff in a playoff of that. 
But that is the only deck I've been able to justify it because I feel like I know what I'm able to set up with that card and I'm willing to roll the dice on the other like six cards that I won't know about. And in any other blue deck, I'm just like, eh, this, this one's pretty devoted to like just a lot of sorceries. Or this one is just all artifacts. So I'm not going to get an actual even spread. So I totally see why this one is, is tough. It's a lot of value, but you do need to have the deck shaped around it a little bit more for it to feel like you are definitely getting the value you know you should get from it. Well, you almost kind of got to treat it like a cascade type of card. Like we, we talk a lot about how you want to be careful about what kind of hmm. decks you're putting all these cascade spells into. Amanatu's Augury kind of has the same feeling as you got to be careful with your deck building. Uh, if you're playing Cascade, for example, you don't want to be playing just straight counterspell. You want to be playing something bigger than that. Mm. Uh, same thing. I, I, Dana, I feel like Amanatu's Augury probably isn't bad in like your Sphinx Typal deck because you're playing big expensive creatures. You have a good array of, of sorceries instants that aren't just straight counterspells either. So I, I feel like that might be a good home if you want to try it out there. That might be a suggestion for me. I, I did try it there. That was the one deck where I ran it a few times. Okay. And again, I, I had that problem where I it, it would it would hit a Sphinx for like five mana and I would hit a land off it. And then I would hit a, you know, Winged Words or something. And, and I guess it, it was it was never terrible, but it never felt like it was good enough to justify filling that eight mana kind of home run slot. And right. and again, to be clear, that's not necessarily like, we're not talking about cards that are overrated or don't perform. We're talking about ones that just don't quite work for us that we don't have a home for. And I think that, like, that, that's why I started with this one. I think it's a really good card. I think there's a lot of decks where it will hit all of those things consistently enough to, to justify the eight mana. I just don't have one of those decks, right? Like it, does, <laughs> it doesn't work for me, even though I think the card is super cool. Oh yeah, the way I tend to brew and the way my deck, my blue decks are brewed, it just doesn't work for me. Oh yeah, make no mistake, the cards that we're talking about in this episode are not cards in our maybe board. Right. These are cards that were like, I wish I had. These are good cards, and like the one that inspired this episode for me was a new one. Matt, you'll love this taunt from the Rampart, which is from the new Lord of the Rings stuff. I this card's cracked. This card's amazing. I cannot wait to cast this card. I don't have a deck that. Can actually currently play it. Taunt from the Rampart is a five mana Boros sorcery. Goad all creatures your opponents control until your next turn those creatures can't block. It's better Disrupt Decorum. It's amazing. And I have a Goad deck, so I saw this card. I love it. The problem is that my Goad deck is Rakdos. I cannot play this card, but I want to. So I'm like, do I just build a random Boros deck or a Jeskai deck or whatever just to have an excuse to play this card? Because I just, I just want to play this card. I just want this card in any place that I can play it, but I don't currently have a Boros deck. Yeah, th this card, I played a lot with the precons just straight out of the box from for the Lord of the Green sets. This card was, every time you saw it, it was the MVP of the game. It was just almost unbeatable because the, the, the decks are all about building up these massive board states. And then all of a sudden somebody just randomly casts a taunt from the Rampart. Well, well, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, you have to block all my stuff, but they can't block this turn. And, and it's uh, it's such a mess, but it's such a blowout. It's like Arachnogenesis style blowouts. It's one of those huge things that just, when somebody casts it, you know that like more than likely two people at the table aren't getting to untap. <laughs> yeah, this thing is so absolutely awesome. I, I love this. And you know what? I sort of tacking one more onto this. I think I also want to mention that like I also wish that I could play more Brash Taunter in my life, which I feel like also is kind of akin to this similar type of thing. Brash Taunter is the five mana one one goblin with indestructible, basically a stuffy doll. Whenever it is dealt damage, it deals that much damage to target opponent and it can also fight uh, an opponent's creature as well. That's sort of in the same style. Like in my head, I have Taunt the Rampart and Brash Taunter, just like in the same thing. I'm like, I do I, 
can I build a deck that uses weird combat buffoonery in this way? And I don't have an actual way to concretize those just yet, but those are cards that I keep looking at them. I'm like, dang, I need to put these into a deck. They don't currently work in any of the decks I've actually got because they're a little bit too defensive or the colors are off or, or whatever compared to the you know aggro stuff I'm actually up to or the graveyard shenanigans I'm trying to do. But I, I just look at those cards longingly, you know? <laughs> yeah, uh, Joey, I, I totally get it. So one of my favorite cards that I, I've wanted a home for this for so long and I've brewed so many decks that just never came together trying to make us like I've, I've made decks trying to make a stupid uncommon or a common. It's not even an uncommon. It's a common from Journey to Nyx. Grim Guardian. I know I've talked about this card a few times in the podcast that I just I want this to have a home, <laughs> but black just doesn't seem to be the best place for Enchantment Matters decks. And so... I've never just been able to find a, a place for this. So Grim Guardian is two and a black for an enchantment creature zombie that's a 1-4 that has Constellation. And whenever Grim Guardian or another enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, each opponent loses one life. So we have Blood Artist effects left and right, but we've never had one for an enchantment. So I was always intrigued by this. I've tried doing myriad stuff with enchantment creatures. I've tried doing Encore. I've tried all of the different mechanics to like try and make as many enchantments explode and just nothing's ever really come together and it's so frustrating it's so annoying because i don't have an enchantment matters decks anyways so you know i'm dedicated to like trying to make this work if i'm brewing a deck to make a stupid common from journey to nyx be something worth playing yeah i feel like a lot of the homes for this have been like daxus the returned or lind cheerful tormentor and daxus is a pretty that, that's the black white daxus experience and it's like pretty slow or lind is like i'm very curse focused and that doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that you actually want to do with enchantments mm -mm. there is the upcoming anicthia hand of erebus uh which is coming up in the future I'm not sure if that will be something that maybe like calls out to you. There have been decks in the past, but I feel like knowing you, what you want to do is very similar to like the Tuvasa style of Enchantress deck, where I'm just like, play enchantments, go big, uh, smash face, <laughs> commander big, and you want like to get a lot of Grim Guardian triggers or Doomwake Giant triggers, and like a lot of those other things don't quite line up with that, which is probably why they haven't called you, is my guess. Mostly, yeah. And there were a whole bunch of different things. I mean, I was trying, like I said, I was trying to make Myriad happen so that I, you know, I could attack with an enchantment creature and make a bunch of copies of it. And maybe I could like encore something from the graveyard and that would get some more triggers. But like it ended up being a lot of work when just Blood Artists would have killed like the whole table <laughs> by the time I got three Grim Guardian triggers. So it was just, sure. it was frustrating because it was so stinking slow. And I'm sure, yeah, Anicthia does look very intriguing. Uh, maybe there's some possibility there. I, I don't know. I, I definitely have to revisit this, though, because um, for every year or so, I'm like, you know what? I have this random foil Grim Guardian. I just want a home for it. It's just so lonely <laughs> sitting in the box by itself. Wait, 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 Matt, I've got it. Esper enchantments, you play Enchanted Evening, so everything's an enchantment, and then you just got like there a bunch is. of tokens and lands into play, and that's a bunch of consolation triggers, et cetera, et cetera, profit something. Well, I, I think it's one of those things where like, if you're playing Orzhov Enchantress or you're playing Golgari Enchantress, it probably isn't quite good enough in those color combinations to like really make you enjoy it. Yeah. And if you are playing someone like Abzan where you have access to both white and green, you don't need it then because you have access <laughs> yeah, to white yeah. and green enchantress stuff. And then you just have all of the tools already. So this mm. becomes less useful. So yeah, there's like, there's just not quite r r the right niche for it so far. 
Yeah, that makes a, a whole lot of sense. Um, I'll move to another one of mine here. And Matt, this is a card that I know you love. I've seen you use it to great effect. And I'm sad that I don't have a play. It's another red card. I, I apparently, I, I need to build a red deck one of these days. Um, Matt, what do you think of Surge to Victory from Strixhaven? Oh, 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 yeah. That, that oh, card yeah. is a story maker. Like, J.R.R. Tolkien isn't even as good at writing <laughs> stories as Surge to Victory. Wow, and, and you are a, a big... Yeah, you're a big Lord of the Rings fanboy, so like, whew, that is that sounds like blasphemy, but but it ain't um, because yeah, this this card makes makes some stuff happen. Um, it's a six mana sorcery, exile target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard, and then creatures you control get a power buff equal to the mana value of that card. And whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player this turn, you copy that exiled card, and you can cast that copy without paying its mana cost. I have a couple of decks that include red, but like, for example, my Karazakar deck I mentioned earlier, that has a lot of big beefy creatures and not a whole lot of high mana instants and sorceries. Or like I have the precon that this card came in, the Zephi precon. And that's good there, but it wasn't perfect there because that was much more of a regular storm spell slingy type of deck. I'll win with like gutter snipe kind of effects rather than winning with combat. So this one, I felt like it's just between two homes and I'm like, I need to find a place to put this. And what I think I would want it to be is just like, here's a bunch of freaking tokens and just get a huge buff and then cast I don't even know what, like, Matt, what's the most fun spell that you've cast off of a Surge to Victory with that buff before? Like, I just, ah, oh, there's... So, I mean, I won the game once by getting rid of a Seize the Day. That was a lot of fun uh, because I was just <laughs> able to get all the combat steps. Uh, that was that was really good. Um, that, that was really, really good. Uh, but there's a couple other big ones. I want to say there was... That's the one that stands out immediately to mind. I know I've cast a couple other just massive haymakers. Um, I, so, actually, one time I saw somebody get rid of a living end with this and oh my they ca i think they're like 17 living ends cast in one turn and it was absolutely ludicrous watching and trying to figure out what all happened oh no see that's what i want in life that's what i want in life and in living death that's per oh yeah this this card's so good i just need to like actually make a deck that can play it i just oh i, I want it I, that's another one of those i just like oh my sweet prince when Modern Horizons 2 was spoiled, one of the cards that, that I was sure was going to be an absolute bomb upon reading it was Fey Offering. Um, it's two and a green for an enchantment. At the beginning of each end step, if you've cast both a creature spell and a non-creature spell, create a clue token, a food token, and a treasure token. That is a crazy amount of reward for just doing the thing that your deck was probably doing. The problem is none of my decks do that thing. <laughs> you you need to have a and it's similar. To, I'm, I'm not as augury. You just need to have the right mix of things in your deck to consistently trigger it. And I don't have any decks that have that consistent mix of things. Um, even if you ignore the fact that like it's pretty tricky to trigger it on everyone's turn, since you need to you know be able to cast creatures with flash or something. Um, even just doing it on your turn, casting both a creature spell and a non-creature spell really requires a, a mix of things that just tends to naturally pop up, not naturally pop up in my decks. You have to probably want to have a, a lot of low cost creatures, maybe an elf deck or something, but those decks tend to run a gazillion creatures, not a lot of other spells that you're going to be regularly casting. Yeah. Um, you know, even that kind of deck tends to not run a ton of nature's war style ramp because so many elves tap for, for green mana as well. So 
I, I've just never quite found a, a deck that has the right mix of cards in the list that's going to make Fey Offering worth running. It was one of those cards that when I first saw it, I was like, I can't believe they printed that. And then I tried to figure out how to make it work. And I was like, oh, that's just because there's not a lot of decks that naturally give you the mix of things that allow you to use it consistently enough to, to justify a slot. And I'm sure there's decks that do it. And I will like, I'm, I'm always looking for one, but I just haven't quite like found that mix yet. Yeah, there, there's just so much value stapled to this, mm -hmm. and I, I really like it. But yeah, there's so many hoops, and it's oftentimes when you get really specific with all the considerations you have to keep in mind when putting a card into your decks. Like like both the cards you already talked about, Fey Offering and Aminatu's Augury, they require you to kind of get specific with how you're constructing your deck to get really get a good balance and don't let you favor a certain card type over the other. And so yeah, it, I also I can see why this would be frustrating to not be able to put into just any deck much less a deck. I do think that with all of the new OBS on food token stuff, that probably can give this card a bit of new life, maybe? So, like, that is good. But also, those new OBS on food token decks, those are too mainstream for Dana to build. So he's That not is gonna... true. <laughs> uh, but here, I do have the perfect story with Fey Offering. Like, because I did put this into a deck that cared a lot about artifact tokens. I was just like, oh, I'm gonna... I think it was I had a, a Mazarek deck built for a while, so sacrificing all those artifact tokens was gonna give me a lot of plus one counters. And honestly, y'all, there is nothing better than riding the high of casting both Fae Offering and Academy Manufacturer on the same turn. I was thinking that, but I didn't want to scare Dana with popular cards. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so then you make three clues and three food and three treasures. And it is, it, it, even if you don't trigger Fae Offering again for the rest of the game, you don't care because you just, you got exactly what you Sure, like. right. So like, that is a highlight. But also, that was not easy to pull off in that deck. And it's very difficult to make those stars align. And even Academy Manufacturer is one of those. I'm just like, whew. I want to find more decks for that too, but I don't make clues all that often and I don't have too many things that make treasures. So like, got to be careful with it too. But like, yeah, I just, this is a really good pick. I love this card. I mean, I feel like somebody should just like challenge how many decks are oh. playing <laughs> Fey Offering with Academy Manufacturer. If only there was a segment of a podcast that could tell people, hey, you know, if you're playing this card, you might want to play this card or you might not want to play that card. I, if only there was like a way for people to be told that was that you shouldn't always do that or you should do that matt that segue was so ham-fisted it might as well be a food token come on man <laughs> and then you're also going to make a treasure and also a clue so that's fine <laughs> i'm getting all, right. all my value call me Fay offering Oh, wow. Okay. Well, all right. If you insist, yes, I suppose that we can challenge some of the stats here on the EDH rec, even despite that ridiculous <laughs> stolen segue. Uh, yeah, folks, we'll be right back after this break. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Alrighty, I will start us off this week with an overplayed challenge. And the reason that I want to mention this one is because there's an upcoming precon in the Commander Masters affiliated products uh, that is led by Julodoc Void Gorger. It's going to be a colorless deck, and that's one of the first times I think we've ever gotten a colorless precon, which is really, really interesting. And so I want to revisit a card that I think we challenged probably like just years upon years ago. Uh, but there are some cards that show up in colorless decks that I don't really think should should. For example, in the deck Kozilek the Great Distortion, which has more than 6,000 decks in the Ediatrek database, that's a colorless commander that currently is playing Myriad Landscape at a clip of 20%. So a fifth of Kozilek decks are playing Myriad Landscape, and actually 6% of Kozilek decks are playing Arcane Signet. And both of these should not happen. Both of those should be zero, because those cards do not work in that deck. Mirrored Landscape, you can tap two mana, tap it, and sacrifice it, and search your library for up to two basic land cards that share a land type, put them onto the battlefield tapped, and then shuffle. And in a colorless deck, you'll have Wastes, but Wastes don't have a land type. They are just lands. They're just basic lands, but they don't have a land type like forest or like mountain or anything like that. So mirrored landscape would not be able to fetch wastes. And arcane signet can tap to add one mana of any color in your commander's color identity, but colorless deck isn't going to have any color in your commander's color identity, so it will do nothing. It will be a two mana artifact that does not do anything. So if you are interested in playing that new Jolo dock or whatever other commander happens to be in that uh, precon as well, if you're going to start doing some colorless stuff, just pay very careful attention to the wording of some of these traditional state cards because stuff like Myriad Landscape, stuff like Arcane Signet do not work when your commander does not have color identity or you don't have any of those lands that actually have land types in your deck. So fair warning, these cards are overplayed. So my challenge this week actually, so going into this episode I was thinking, well actually this card actually is probably a little bit overplayed in these certain decks, but then after Watsi effectively made the, the mechanic on the card work differently with this most recent Lord of the Rings precons, I actually now I'm going to say that this card is underplayed in some of its most popular commanders. So Dreadhorde Invasion is the card that I'm going to challenge this week. It is one in a black for an enchantment says at the beginning of your upkeep, you lose one life and you amass zombies one. Now that's very important to point out because the card itself says amass one, but actually the errata, the, the oracle text of the card now says amass zombies one. So when... Wizards of the Coast started printing these Lord of the Rings precons and being able to enable you to amass orcs one, they changed the way that amass works. So it used to be that if you didn't have an army, you would create a zero one zombie army and then you would amass onto that army. But now that you can amass orc armies, they changed the way that it works. So if you amass onto an army that exists already, you then give it that that creature type that you are amassing. So say you have a zombie army out and then you have, I don't know, Sauron the Dark Lord that amasses orcs one whenever an opponent casts a spell. You then amass onto that same army you already have, which also then gives it the orc creature type. So then you have a orc zombie army. And if you amass onto a changeling, for example, you have a change every creature type army. <laughs> but basically they change the way that amass works. And that's the important part because 
with both of the t- the two most common commanders for Dreadheart Invasion, Sauron the Dark Lord and Saruman the White Hand, which make a ton of orc armies, because of the way that they changed how a mass works, the second ability on Dreadhorde Invasion, which kind of used to be a throwaway, now is super duper relevant. So whenever a zombie token you control with power six or greater attacks, it gains lifelink until end of turn. That's very important because, you know, if you have a, an army that's chilling out there, it's a 10-10, but it's getting chump blocked to death, you can use Dreadhorde Invasion to amass onto that, make it a zombie, and then you're going to gonna attack with it, and you're going to get that second ability right away, and you're going to start gaining life. You can have a pre-built army, and it's just going to start going to town. At first, I thought, okay, you have to have a specific zombie army, which doesn't work with Dreadhorde Invasion. 46% of decks with Sauron the Dark Lord, that just seems too high. It's not really going to get you... You're never going to get that second ability. But now that they changed the way that a mass works, you are going to get that ability all the time. <laughs> and it's so good. Uh, so it, the, the the numbers probably should be matching Marher or Urukai Captain, which 73% of those decks are playing Dreadhorde Invasion. I think if you're playing any sort of commander that can amass any sort of army token as easily as Sauron the Dark Lord, Saruman the White Hand, you definitely want Dreadhorde Invasion. It's not even a dollar. It's a super cheap pickup. You're going to get so much value out of this card now because they did change the way that a mass works. Folks, they changed the way that the stupid card works. <laughs> you need to be playing it more. Sauron is saying whenever an opponent casts a spell, a mass orcs one. Like we've all played with Forgotten Ancient, right? We, we've all played with Mana Gorger Hydra. We've seen yeah. how big those things get whenever an opponent casts a spell. I've got an Ishai deck and that one's like, oh, I got to pull some counter whenever an opponent casts a spell. That thing gets huge so, so fast. So for Sauron to be like, oh, here's the orcs that are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you can give them a bunch of other, like you can just Katamari the orcs into also being zombie army and then give them other keywords like, oh man, Whew. It's wild, all the value. So I, I had a Saruman the White Handout, and I cast a Spell Swindle. And you know what's really cool? When you Spell Swindle something and you get five tokens is when you also get a 5-5 five, five creature with it. It is <laughs> so silly. And so like you, you, it's so easy to make massive armies with a mass these days. And Dreadhorde Invasion, it's just going to make those armies even better. Sign me up for only two mana. That's such a great value. Yeah, uh, I love that the throwaway text on that card is actually going to become super relevant with all the new orc stuff. They changed the way the card works. They changed (laughs) the way the card works. All right, Dana, what's your challenge? Did any cards change in the way that they worked? It was nothing that changed. Um, The challenge this week, though, is also from Lord of the Rings. It's from a listener, Alta Biscuit. Um, It says, with a lot of commanders from Lord of the Rings looking to take advantage of the ring tempts you mechanic, there's a lot of chances to look at what overlooked synergies come from that that mechanic. Um, the second stage of the ring makes you draw a card and discard a card when your ring bearer attacks, so you can easily trigger effects that go off when you draw your second card per turn, because obviously you draw one during your draw step, or things that trigger when you discard a card. And people maybe aren't synergizing with that as much as they should be. Um, two of the examples that Ultimus had sent us here are Iron Craig Pyromancer. Um, whenever you draw your second card each turn, it deals three damage to any target. So it just gives you a free lightning bolt if it's out because you're going to be in that deck having a ring bear very, very frequently. Um, containment Construct is another one. Whenever you discard a card, you may exile that card from your graveyard. And if you do, you may play that card this turn. So whatever card you discard, you can just reuse it if you want to. Um, I do think that's a really good point. There's a lot of things that you can do with the ring tempts you mechanic, um, but the second synergies that people are, are, are missing out on with, with these, it's not just 
the the bonuses it gives you, but it's like how can you take additional advantage of that card draw, that discard, that kind of thing. And right now, looking at decks, containment constructs in just 86 of just under 4,000 Sword on the Dark Lord decks. Mm. And it's in less than five decks of the other Ring Bearer Commanders. And Iron Craig Pyromancer is in only five Sauron decks as well. Um, so yeah, if you're playing Sauron or if you're playing anything that's built around that mechanic, there's a lot of ways you can take advantage of that that guaranteed second card draw per turn or that discard per turn. And, and people really aren't doing that yet. Yeah, the draw two cards, draw a second card. There's a lot of mm-hmm. potential in there. Like Gixian Puppeteer could be another. Whenever you draw your second card, each opponent loses two and you gain two. Uh, Joel Rael, Empress of Beasts, or not her, Joel Rael Monvoli Recluse, sorry. She makes cat tokens and can also pump your stuff up. Like there's, yeah, there's a, a lot of potential to look into there. I love that. Yeah, that's a good find. And, and you know, a lot of that is probably because people are relatively new to those decks. They haven't gotten a chance to to experience that synergy yet and like see, oh, I could take advantage of that. But um, absolutely, if you are playing those those decks, get ahead of the curve. And I, I think people will start running more and more of those cards as those decks mature in the database. Nice. Nice stuff. Cool pick. I love that. All right. Let's get back into our main topic here. Talking about some cards that ah, we wish we could play them just a little bit more. More if we had a, a deck to actually put these. Matt, what's your next selection? So my next card is one that I know Dana has had some good success with it. I just don't, I've tried to put it into decks and it's never, every time I've I've dug into, okay, is my deck built to take advantage of this? It's never really worked out. Uh, So Symmetry Matrix is a card that in theory, it should go on a lot of my decks because I play a lot of creatures in pretty much all of my decks, but it it never works. I, I look at the creatures that I'm playing in my decks and maybe half, not even more often than not are going to be able to trigger it. So symmetry matrix is four mana for an artifact that says whenever a creature with power equal to its toughness enters the battlefield under your control, you may pay one. If you do draw a card, I've had so many cards, but like when you look at all the creatures that even the most popular creatures that are played in the format, you have stuff like reclamation sage, you have stuff like eternal witness, you have a whole bunch of all these creatures so many of them don't have power equal to the toughness. And that's just what throws it off for me. I just don't have a deck for it. But also I think I can kind of just say Brothers War as a whole set. Do you remember Brothers War, everyone? 20 (laughs) 20 cents ago. It was so long ago, Matt. I just don't. It was so long ago. I feel bad because I don't remember a set that I was so excited to have come out and then almost forgot about. Dang. It's just, it immediately just got pushed out by all the things going on immediately after it. Because we got the, the... Revisit to Phyrexia and all the things that went on. Those are two of the most juiciest sets for commander players, maybe of all time. And so Brothers War just in general got pushed out, but I especially wish I had a home for Symmetry Matrix. Yeah, that's a cool effect. I feel like it really wants you to be in a token deck to work, like you're making a bunch of 1-1s or a bunch of 2-2s. Mm-hmm. But like, Matt, even in your decks that make tokens, like your Raga Draga deck, you're making Eldrazi spawn tokens, which are 0-1s, so you're still not triggering this. Yeah, I make it. I, I make 1-1s as well, but uh, most of them aren't. And so, it, yeah, it's, it's really hard. I, I have so many decks that, in theory, would love it, but it just doesn't work when I actually look at the disbursement of what kind of creatures I'm making. Yeah, the problem with Symmetry Matrix is it's asking for two things. It wants creatures to come into play regularly on your turn that have an equal power and toughness. Um, token decks do that 
oftentimes, but but not always, as, as Matt just told us. Uh, his doesn't really do that. Um, but not only do you need to be able to consistently make creatures that come into play that have an equal power and toughness, you have to have a deck that also has mana for you to take advantage of it. Right. And being, you know, you know, and yeah, a one mana to draw cards a pretty good rate of return, but that can throw off the tempo of what your deck's trying to do as well. A lot of times you kind of know how your mana is going to get spent and you have a plan for that. And tacking one mana onto that, even for something as amazing as drawing a card that you can't go back from, you can't change your mind about, you know, you're, yeah, it may cost you three mana to draw a card off a war room or something, but you, you can do that at the end of the turn right? before you untap after you've determined you don't need to use the mana for something else. Symmetry basic, you have to use it immediately. So while I have found decks, I, I have this in two decks currently, um, again, it's a situation where like, those two decks just happen to work really well with it, and I totally understand how there's a lot of decks that don't. Lifecrafter's Bestiary was, is a very similar card, yeah. and the problem with Bestiary was it required a green mana to, to get the card draw, and that was an even bigger ask. It wasn't just that you had to spend a mana in, in tax shelf to draw a card. It had to be a very specific color mana, and that always threw me off. And I think especially with with a lot of like if you are playing a green deck, you've got so many options for you've got your return of the wild speakers, you've got you've got so much stuff that you can do. Yeah. Uh your your beast whisperers and all that. If you're like I've got a, a token deck where I'm like, oh, I, I took a look at Symmetry Matrix from my Thalese deck, because I'm making a ton of tokens there. I could really have a heyday if I wanted to draw cards. But the thing is, is that a card like Pact of the Serpent would draw me more cards. <laughs> you know? Uh I, I have a lot of options. Even just a regular read the bones. I'm just like, this is gonna be a little bit more consistent and that will help me out um there are uh, or, or minions murmurs that's another one draw cards equal to the number of creatures that you control and you lose life for it but i'm just like uh, i know this is going to draw me definitely something and i don't have to worry about the timing of it or paying too much extra mana for it and those have sort of just eked out a little bit over time of like yeah i think i do kind of prefer those this one i think it does really require probably i think it gets a little bit more relegated to mono white because of just the options that other colors will sometimes have for a strategy like tokens or a very creature dense strategy, they're going to have other stuff that they can do instead. Um, so either mono white, mono red, I don't know if Boros will want it, maybe. I feel like Boros is usually doing some other stuff with equipment things, I don't know. But yeah, it just feels like color wise, this is secretly like a mono white card or something. And it's got kind of a lot of parallels to Mentor the Meek too. And so there's there's a lot of yeah. immediate lines you can draw. To see. I see why you would say that, Joey. And I will note one of the decks from running it is a mono white deck, so you're not wrong. Like that's that's <laughs> absolutely one of the places where I'm using it. And I and I like you said, Dana. I, if I had a deck that more reliably made tokens that were all the same type all the time, I think that would give it a little bit more juice, a little more leeway. I toyed with it in my Kyler deck because that's probably the closest I get to having a bunch of creatures that all have the same power and toughness when they come in. But even then, I was like, well, we'll see. It's it's going to be some tinkering for sure. All right, Dana, you're up next. Um, the card I want to talk about next is a card that I, I was really hyped on at release um, and was sure it was going to be the kind of card I was going to wind up putting in a whole bunch of decks, and I've just never had the right one for it, and that's Path of Discovery. I remember thinking it was going to kind of be Green's version of Cather's Crusade, maybe. Hmm. Um, it's three and a green for an enchantment. Whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, it explores. So you reveal the top card of your library and put that card into your hand if it's a land, or you put a plus one counter on the creature and put the card back or put it into your graveyard. So it lets you do a little bit of, you know, filtering down in your library. It lets you buff up a creature. Um, you know, if you have a bunch of creatures coming into play simultaneously, probably from tokens or something, mm. you can just um, put that card back and, like, make sure everything comes into play with a plus one counter on it. 
there's just a there's a lot of nice little synergies with it, particularly because it's not on cast. It's an ETB. So if you're blinking stuff or putting a ton of tokens into play, you can get a ton of triggers on this. But I, I just never found the deck that wants those particular triggers, it, that, that wants to put just a single plus one counter on a, a bunch of tokens and like wants to have the, the explore effect. I, I, I just can't quite find that mix of things that does what I want to make this card work, despite the fact that every time I make a green deck, I'm like, okay, is this the deck for Path of Discovery? And like, it's it's like never quite there. I can never quite unlock it. So I, I really enjoy Path of Discovery. I have a copy in my Ukima and Kazer deck, which is all about plus one, plus one counters and, and being able to get a little bit of the card manipulation going, controlling what's on the top of my deck, filtering stuff down, like you said, Dana, and also getting plus one, plus one counters, getting something on everything to get that party started because I found that the deck, it struggles to get that first counter on, but once one is there, I can proliferate and build upon that. Mm. And so Path of Discovery does a lot of things. It's one of those cards that doesn't do anything great, but it does a lot of little things really well. And if you're able to trigger the Explorer ability on it and you're able to kind of filter down... If you have any graveyard synergies in your deck, Joseph, <laughs> then you're going to be able to really fill up your graveyard pretty quick if you were trying to. I think this card suffers a little bit from something that actually I also have an issue with on the next card that I wanted to mention here. But like this card feels to me like it has so many moving parts. And in Commander decks, we want every single ingredient on a card to be relevant to everything that deck is doing. Mm -hmm. It very much feels like if there's a part, like if you weren't able to use the plus one counters in the way that you said, Matt, like if you didn't have proliferate effects or other stuff to make those plus one counters relevant, and it was just you're playing this in a tokens deck, it feels like you're missing out on some cool aspect of the synergy that this card could offer you and so that's one of the things that mentally makes it easier to cut from a deck and i feel similarly about the next card here which also has to do with plus encounters um i wish that i played lux artillery more i wish i had a deck to put lux artillery into this is also a four mana card that cares about plus one counters whenever you cast an artifact creature spell it gains sunburst so it'll enter the battlefield with counters on it for each color of mana that you spent to cast it and at the beginning of your end step and this text is so delicious if there are 30 or more counters among artifacts and creatures you control lux artillery deals 10 damage to each opponent just 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 so cool, just awesome. And so I've got a plus one counters deck, but it doesn't have any artifact creatures in it. I'm just like, oh, I'm never getting that first paragraph of that text. So for that reason, I look at Lux Artillery and I'm like, oh, well, I'd literally be missing out on half of the words of this card. So mentally, it's easier for me to cut that. Just like for uh, this card here that, that y'all are talking about, like when you're exploring, if you're not able to use those plus one counters and it's just regularly a token deck, you'd kind of be missing out on some of the benefit aside from just, oh, the creatures are a little bit bigger. And so I feel like it's, it's one of those where I'm just like, ah, I really need to have have a lot more stars aligned for their deck to actually line up exactly with what all of the ingredients of this card are trying to do. And that's why I look at these and I'm just like, ah, I wish. So as somebody who plays a lot of Lux in League of Legends, like <laughs> nearly a million mastery points Lux levels of I've played that many games, I also really wanted to play Lux Artillery because that's pretty much what the character Lux does in League of Legends. I, I, I get the struggle, Joey. I've I've wanted to put this in a deck. I don't really have a good place for it. Ukeeman Kazar's the closest, but like if something has 30 more counters, uh, I'm it's just, a, you're just winning a different way, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can just flicker Ukima once and kill everybody. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't really need Lux Artillery. It's, it's a win more card in that deck and everything else is a do nothing card. So I get the struggle, Joey. I, I, I love this card. It's super cool. It does a lot of really cool things, but I, yeah, I just don't have a home for it. And that's why for this card, I would want to have it because it just counts 
counters among artifacts and creatures you control, mm-hmm. not just plus one counters. Mm-hmm. So I would want this to be in a deck that has a lot of counters on artifacts, which I just don't happen to have. But that's the way I can actually use all of the ingredients on this card. And it just hasn't quite lined up yet. And so, yeah, these four mana cards that are putting plus one counters on things, it's it's hard to justify them, but man, are they just fun to think about and brainstorm about. And we want to put them somewhere. So the one thing about Lux Artillery I will note that's probably a little bit different than most of the rest of the cards we talked about is almost the rest of them, all the rest of them have been like, well, it might work in this kind of token deck if you were doing this or that, but I just don't have that deck. Lux Artillery, if you are playing a modular deck, it's going to be, <laughs> in fact, like every single time it's amazing. Mm-hmm. So like if you are playing, because almost every modular deck is going to be at least two colors, probably Boros. So your, your modular creatures are going to all come into play with two extra counters on them. Um, those counters are going to move around and you know have a lot of different ways to stay in play too to make it easier to hit that threshold. It's a perfect card for modular decks, and probably not really for any other deck. <laughs> so, <laughs> as someone who has a budget Boros modular deck, the card is amazing in there. Um, and other than that, it's one of those cards where I look at and go, "Is it going to work there?" No, not really. Like it's it's it has a really specific home and if there's another one out there for it, I have not managed to find it yet. That's just the thing, isn't it? So many cards, so many commanders that come out these days. We had a whole episode about how like they're very hyper-specialized. But I feel like a lot of the yeah. cards that go into the 99 are also very hyper-specialized. And yeah. the thing that I keep running into is that I want to take those hyper-specialized cards out of those specific decks and put them somewhere else. And it doesn't, it still doesn't quite line up, but I'm just like, but I want a deck for you. But it's just like, all right, then build a hyper-specialized deck for me. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to play modular. Yeah. And then it's just yeah. like, well, I don't know what you expected. This is exactly where I <laughs> right. want to go. <laughs> like, ah! <laughs> right. yeah. Well, like talking about hyper-specialized, well, the, the next card here on my list is is Twinning Staff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, f- three mana, if you would copy a spell one or more times and said copy that, copy it that many times plus an additional time, and you could choose new targets for the additional copy. That's amazing. Assuming you're copying a bunch of spells, <laughs> and you have to be copying a bunch of spells. It's not the kind of thing where, like, if you have a couple of spell copy things in your deck, it's probably almost never going to be worth um, having it, you know, just for a couple occasional copies, you need to have a, a big density of spell copy effects. And if you have a big density of spell copy effects, <laughs> the thing you're doing is probably so explosive that, like, adding one more copy on an artifact that's sitting in play probably isn't the kind of thing that you need to worry about too much. At least that's been that's been the thing for me. I, this is one of those cards where I saw it, I'm like, oh, this is so powerful. And then I, after looking at it and, and like thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, it's super powerful, but I can't quite find that right mix of things that makes it worth running. Yeah, this card really does feel like you... <laughs> I feel like the place it ends up most of the time is like in a deck where the commander is doing the copying for you, like Anhelo the Painter, yeah. like Volo, uh, the the Simic Guide to Monsters, Ivy Gleeful Spell Thief. Those are very straightforward places to put it. The problem, Dana, is that that's not what you want to do. You don't want it to just be handed to you on a plate. You want to be like, no, I've got a lot of copy stuff within the 99. And it's just like, yeah, but that's harder. <laughs> like It's harder right, to build yeah. a whole deck where you're doing enough copying within the 99 and not right there from the command zone that would justify this card being in your deck. Yes. And it's just because we love jumping all these hurdles and, and making these stuff harder for us but, but like yeah you don't want to just build a volo deck to, that would make this card really easy to, to actually just slot right in so i get it well it's funny that we, we talked about how magic players love a challenge a couple weeks ago love a challenge I, I the stats a, i want to well yeah that too but i want to make <laughs> i want to make an addendum to that 
Magic players love making the game harder for themselves than it needs to be. <laughs> kind of like they make the game more expensive for themselves than it needs to be. Like, <laughs> like I, I can, I can, well, because players are like, I want to get the most blingiest version. We're like, you can just get a regular basic land. <laughs> That's fine. You, you have a million laying around, but it is the same way. So Magic players love finding like a card they want to build around. And I'm the most guilty of this because you've heard the cards I've talked about so far. <laughs> and they're like, I'm going to make a whole deck around this. And it's going to be the worst, just like pile. And you're going to look at me like, what? what's your problem? Uh, so a, a card that I don't know if it's a pile, but I want to put into a deck anyways. And this actually, uh, one of my best friends reminded me that this card exists. And I was like, oh, yeah, I wanted this. Like, yeah, this card is kind of you. Life of the Party does a lot of really fun things. And I wish that any of them could fit into a deck that I have. So so Life of the Party, three in a red for a elemental creature. It's a zero one with first strike, trample, and haste. That's not very good, is it? Nope, because there's more text. So whenever Life of the Party attacks, it gets plus X plus O until the turn, where X is the number of creatures you control. And then when Life of the Party enters the battlefield, if it's not a token, each opponent creates a token that's a copy of it, and the tokens are goaded for the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. Now... Say what you will about Goad. Dana, I know you have some thoughts on Goad as mechanic. I think this is the perfect execution of Goad because you're you're giving your opponents this big beefy creature and just letting them just like go to town. It's not stopping, it's not like locking people out. It's just encouraging a little controlled chaos. And also, I like to put creatures on the battlefield. And so life of the party for me is always going to be enormous. So I this does so many fun things that I like to do in my my typical magic game. But I just I've never found a home for it. And I feel like that's a problem that that is mine to solve. But I also don't know how to solve it. <laughs> oh, Matt, uh, yeah, when you said let's people go to town, they really do get to go to town, go to uh, the whole town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one that I have also toyed with in. I have that goat deck, that Karazakar deck. And I historically with that deck have not had enough creatures for my own benefit off of this card to feel really great because it gets that pump equal to number of creatures you control. And I'm just like, I've got Karazakar and like a 6-6 six, six over here. I've got some big beefy creatures. And I'm like, do I change this more into a token-y type of deck to make better use of cards like this? But honestly, the place that I would want to see Life of the Party is in a blink deck. Just blink <laughs> it over and over again and give your opponents a bunch of copies of this. Like That's that's my so little chaos moment with this card. That's what I want to do with it. <laughs> And it's not like it's uh, it's abusing goat as a mechanic, and it's not locking your opponents down. You're you're giving them something, and that is the only goaded creature they have. I mean, more than likely. But yes, it, like goad. And again, Dan, I, I know that you have thoughts, but this is to me, it's like a perfect little balance of like it's a fun mechanic, and it's going to play around with it, but it's not going to do anything that's going to totally just make the game unfun to play against. Yeah, uh, but, but it's one of those things too. Where like I, I, I like actually, I tend to agree with you. It's it's a good implementation of it, but finding the right spot for it, mm -hmm. right, is 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 tricky. And and yeah, it, it's a card that I've considered for decks too, and I just can't find anything that quite works in in a way that I want it in my deck and can justify a slot other than like just forcing it. Yeah, I feel that. All right, I'll go to my next one here. And um, Matt, I think maybe you'll appreciate this because I know that you liked the Warhammer 40k pre-constructed decks. And in one of those decks, there was the card Gene Stealer Patriarch. And I mean, 
I just, I really like this thing, and I, I'm like, why do I not have a deck that is suitable to play this? Gene Steeler Patriarch, which would be a great drag name. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Gene Steeler Patriarch. Uh, <laughs> five mana, four, four Tyranid, and it has the ability, whenever it attacks, you put an infection counter on a creature that a defending player controls, and whenever a creature with an infection counter on it dies, you create a token that is a copy of that creature, except it's also a Tyranid in addition to its other types. Just... That sounds so cool to me. It's a five mana four four, so on rate, it's not great. And again, to use all of the ingredients of this card, I think I would need to have like other token synergies in a deck that plays this or other copy synergies in a deck that plays this or even the ability to make extra tokens and extra counters and move those counters around or something like that. Like, I don't know. There's something else that I would need for this card to really, really be able to shine in a deck. But man, do I want to play it because I want to make copies of other people's creatures real bad. I, I really like what this card is trying to do, but the fact that, like you said, Joey, it's a 4-4 four, four for 5, it has to attack first, and then the other creature has to die while the, the Patriarch is still on the battlefield. So there's a lot of things that need to go right in order to get value out of this, and again... It's a fun card, but how many hoops do you want to put yourself through before this card gets good? It, again, we like to make the game harder than it needs to be to get cool <laughs> things. Uh, and Gene Steeler Patriarch, it does a lot of fun things, but is are, is it worth all the hoops that you have to go through in order to get the fun? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just I look at this card and I'm just like, man, uh, this is another prince, another sweet prince. But like, even if it had a different creature type that I could justify, like, oh, I can put this into a deck that cares a lot about sphinxes or, or whatever. I'm just like, ah, I, I really or if I had more tokeny things, there's there's a lot of stuff I would love to do with this. But it just like I need one more of those things to line up with what my decks are currently doing, which is why I haven't been able to justify playing it. But the next time I build a blue deck, this card's in the like the considerations pile before I even know what the commander is, because I just really like it. The one that I'm always looking at in, in a deck, and what's frustrating about it is I know exactly multiple decks where it would be fantastic, and that's Litjara Mirror Lake. Um, <laughs> it's a land, it comes into play tapped, but it does tap for blue mana, so that's kind of nice. Um, and you can spend five mana total, two, two green and a blue to tap it and sacrifice it, and you can make a token that's a copy of target creature you control, except for it comes into play with an extra plus one counter on it, and you can activate that only as a sorcery. Um, I mean, it's basically like a land that's going to come into play tapped, and if you never use it, there's really, you know, you've taken a small tempo hit, but, like, there's not a lot of downside to that. That's a pretty big upside, being able to make a copy of a creature you control. Except for you have to probably be playing it in a Simic deck that has a creature that's worth copying. Mm -hmm. And so many Simic decks tend to like go that value train or, you know, in my case, the one Simic deck I, I have is Edric's Funmaster of Trust. Well, I'm not going to copy a, some, you know, 1-1 one, one flyer. <laughs> like that doesn't do me any good. Um, so... You know, if you're playing Miriam Sentinel Worm right now, you're like listening to like, what are you talking about? I got a gazillion dragons that are awesome to copy. And it's magnificent in that deck because you're playing dragons um, and access to, to, to green and blue. And, you know, any five color deck is probably worth looking at. But I just like, I don't have anything that's featuring green and blue that has creatures worth copying, unfortunately. And I, I really want to do that because I like this card a lot, but I, I, I just have no home for it. You, Dana, you with these Kaldheim utility lands. For real. You talked about you you talked about 
port a car fill before. Like, yep. you, you just love these I'm cards. I'm a big fan of a bunch of them. I do. They, I mean, they, they are very good. They have a lot of effects that just, if you're playing those colors, there's not really any harm in just slotting these in. I mean, Grant, don't cut a basic for it. I don't do what Dana does. <laughs> or do, or do, that's fine. <laughs> no, <laughs> Dana. Oh, man. Dana, this card reminds me a lot of Mirror Pool, which is a colorless land that has yeah. a, an effect to copy an instant or sorcery spell, which would be great for twinning stuff. Um, and it can co- make a, a token that's a copy of a creature you control. I feel like, I mean, are you playing Mirror Pool anywhere? I, I would say that the, the difference worth noting here is, particularly like if you're looking at a five-color deck or something, that colorless mana cost hurts you a lot more yeah. than than the blue, the being able to tap this for blue. Yeah. Um, so like if you're playing a two-color deck, I think then I, I understand if you want one, probably want, want both. But I think this slots much more easily into a three or a four or a five-color deck than, than does Mirror Pool. Well, I was just going to say, I'm just like, I have looked at Mirror Pool as another card where I'm like, man, I wish I played that more often. But that colorless requirement and the fact that it enters tapped and doesn't fix colors, that's kept it out of a lot of my own decks. Yeah. So like even that one, I can't really justify, let alone the other one. <laughs> like, so I'm wondering if like, here's yet another one of those lands where it's just like, it seems like they, these these cards are sisters and we're just like, man, <laughs> like get into a deck, but uh, but we can't really justify it still. It's just, right. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could. Yeah. The, the deck building cost of Mirror Pool is very, very steep. I I, I have it in one deck, and even then, I feel like that's too many. And I love the card; it's it's so good. But you need a good density of colorless producing lands, and I don't think a lot of decks are really keeping that in mind when they're putting cards like Mirror Pool in there. Like they might be putting a few in there, but making sure you have the density to to make or to meet what Mirror Pool needs you to be doing, it's it's really hard, especially if you're in a lot of colors. Well, before we wrap up, I, I want to shout out. So I haven't talked about any green cards this episode, and I believe in my contract, I have to. Uh, so <laughs> so a couple cards I do want to shout out that just I like them. I like what they're doing in theory, but I don't have any homes for them. Not because of the colors, obviously, but because just what the cards require you to be doing. Uh, so Venerated Rot Priest, I know a lot of people got real upset when this card was printed because it's dealing with poison counters. <laughs> uh, so Venerated Rot Priest, one mana for a 1-2 Phyrexian Druid with Toxic 1. But whenever a creature you control becomes a target of a spell, target opponent gets a poison counter. This is really cool, and I love one of my very, very first 60-card casual decks that was just a pile was a heroic deck. So I always, like my heartstrings always have this affinity towards heroic spells and that just that mechanic in general. Mm-hmm. Venerated Rot Priest does a lot of things that I would love to be doing in that deck. And so this, and, and a special shout out, I guess, to Season of Growth because both of them have a ton of potential, a ton of value, but I just don't have, I, I don't have any decks anymore in Commander especially that are targeting my own things that are pumping them up or doing whatever. I know there's a lot of decks out there. Uh, I knew I know the new Legolas commander all about targeting itself and and there's just so many cool things I love pumping up. I I love combat tricks. I just love combat tricks. And Venerator Rot Priest, Season of Growth, both of these cards absolutely love enabling combat tricks. I just don't have a home for them. And they would kind of maybe fit in my Ukeem and Kazer deck, but I'm not really pumping out a bunch of spells. It's more like moving mm. plus one, plus one counters around. I'm not targeting with spells really in that deck. And so I wish I had a home for types of cards like these two. I just don't currently have that spot. 
I mean, it sounds like you just need to build that Lego list deck, and those would both go in there. Apparently, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Matt, you said that you were contractually obligated to talk about at least some green cards, and it occurs to me that I've named like some blue and some red and stuff, but I don't think I've mentioned a black card. Um, so I have to fulfill my part of the. Your time to now. shine, Joey. Your time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'll shout out Tormod the Desecrator here. This is a card that I keep on. I'm just like, why? Why isn't this card fitting the way I think it should fit into? I I do so many graveyard things, and yet this card has not actually fit into any one of them so i'm like i need to build a new graveyard deck where tormod the desecrator can actually do the things i want it to do because the potential in this card looks off the chain it is a four mana four two zombie wizard whenever one or more cards leaves your graveyard you create a tapped two two black zombie creature token Y'all know I have so many graveyard decks. I've got Mimeoplasm. I've got Sir Conrad. I've got Vohar. I've got Babalasa. I am doing so many things with the graveyard. And this thing, the problem with Tormod, is that it wants cards to leave your graveyard one at a time. And I don't do that. <laughs> I have cards leave my graveyard en masse. I am living death dot deck kind of person. Like, that is the thing that I do. So Tormod has never actually gotten to do anything in those decks. I keep trying to justify it, but, but no, I would make one zombie at most and the deck would be very uninterested and and doing a couple of little bit of recursion things the way that Tormod is asking you to. So I'm like, like you might just need to build the Legolas deck. I'm over here like, do I just need to build the Tormod deck to finally get what I want this card to do? I, I feel like it should go in the 99, but it might just need to end up being one of my future commanders. Yeah, I mean, here we are just brewing decks on our own, just in real time for everyone to hear. There you go. <laughs> Dana, what are you contractually obligated to talk about? <laughs> I mean, I think I've I, I've gone through a little bit of it, but I guess I, I haven't brought up a in, in a weird old card yet. <laughs> that's usually, I guess, I guess what I do. So, so the one I will I will throw out here would be War Cadence. Hmm. Uh, that that fits the bill right there. Yeah. Yeah. All right. A War Cadence is a is a old uh, enchantment from Arcadian Masks, two in a red, and you can spend X in a red. And this turn, creatures can't block unless their controller pays X for each blocking creature he or she controls. So for one, you can, you know, obviously use it on your turn to make your stuff more or less unblockable, depending on how many creatures are coming in and how much mana your opponent has. But you can use it on anybody else's turn, too. <laughs> um, you know, it's one of those cards where, like, if someone's attacking one of your opponents and you want to make that thing nearly unblockable, you can pump a few mana into it and, and do that. I think that's a super useful card, but it's one of those cards where it, it, it's super useful in kind of a generic sense. And I don't have a deck that's really crying out for the ability to just make stuff unblockable, either because, you know, my red decks have creatures that have some form of evasion already, or they're not things that I'm super concerned about poking damage through because, you know, they're not attacking very regularly. I don't know what it is, but I just, I love War Cadence. It's one of those cards that the first time I saw it, I was sure I was going to be putting it in a bunch of decks. Mm. And again, I just don't have any decks that are crying out for that particular effect. See, I, I like this card in the same way I like a certain other card that kind of does the same thing that I have in my Valduck deck, uh, Invasion Plans. It's the oh. <laughs> only deck that I have space for it, but Invasion Plans is very much the same way. Uh, so all creatures block each combat if able, and the attacking player chooses how each creature blocks each combat. It's just a, such a fun way to really mess up the, the people who want to pillow for it up and, and, oh, I have all these chump blockers. Well, that doesn't matter because I get to pick how you block or I get to make you pay a bunch of mana in order to block. Uh, fun for you. You said it's fun. Right. Fun for you, Matt. You keep killing off my stuff. You keep fun. on making I, my stuff block. <laughs> I don't care about your fun. I want my fun. 
Well, Dothi embraces a similar one as well, two and a black, and you can spend uh, double black and give a creature shadow until end of turn. So again, make it pretty much unblockable. Mm -hmm. And you can also target your opponent's stuff with that. It's just, again, one of those cards that like I like it a lot and always want to find a home for it. But any of the decks I have, again, I'm like, oh, I'm, it's a Golgari deck, so I've got a bunch of trample on stuff. I don't really need to make it a given shadow. Or, you know, I, I have a I have a um, dragon deck in Demir. Well, dragon's all flying, so like I need it way less there as well. It's, it's just one of those cards similarly. Yeah. I like it a lot, and I none of my decks need that ability necessarily. Yeah, Dothi Embrace is so cool. I've got that in one deck, and every time I see it, I'm just like, tee-hee-hee. Like, I'm going to become a little gremlin. It's it's awesome. But, like, the, the War Cadence, the, the War Cadence especially, I'd, like... I'm looking at that card and like genuinely I would actually see that card if you did play that card in a deck I would actually be kind of terrified of it in in like the subtlest of ways like not in like an overt horror movie way but in like a psychological thriller kind of way because if I ever tap out right. then all you have to do is pay two mana and it's like oh you don't have one mana to block with any of your creatures so good luck and, it's, and like yeah. that is that is doing a lot of work mm -hmm. and so like I hope you do find a place for it because that 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 seems like oh the effect mentally that will have on me in the game is like a don't tap out <laughs> don't turn off the light don't go to sleep don't tap out like that that's the the effect <laughs> that the card will have on me like a horror movie all right guys now that we have finally fulfilled our contractual obligations matt's talked about green i've talked about black dan has talked about old cards uh now i think we can finally move to start wrapping things up but i don't know before we go like are there any other final thoughts that we have about this topic about these cards that we wish we played more that we had a deck for are there any other final things that you want to throw out there yeah, I would say don't give up looking for a home for the for these cards, particularly for someone who brews decks all the time. Don't like just you couldn't find a home for your deck, so you you know quit looking because you might find yourself just brewing a deck where things accidentally work out. Um, in mm. one thing that came up for me, Spell Swindle is a super cool card. It's a it's a five mana counter spell, and you create X colorless treasure artifact tokens where X is that spell's mana cost. So it's kind of a mana drain that's making you treasures. You know, mana drain's obviously super efficient at two mana. This costs five, but I've always wanted a deck for Spell Swindle, and it, it's not like it's ever a bad card, but like I felt like I wanted to have it in a deck where I was getting some synergy, but... You know, I didn't have anything that cared about treasures really in blue and wanted to be sacrificing treasures or anything. So it, I just never had a spot where it like illogically fit. And then I built a deck um, fairly recently with Itch Tech Hick Salvage Splicer in it, where whenever you sacrifice in any kind of an artifact, you put a counter on all the golems you control. Hmm. And it's a deck that makes a bunch of golems. Well, well, suddenly right there, then now, now I have this counter spell that makes a bunch of treasures. And if I'm like countering a giant spell that costs six, seven mana or something, that's six or seven counters going on every single goal in that deck. It, it went from being a cool card I wanted to run to, frankly, almost a win condition in that deck, being able to put that many counters on my golems if, I, if I'm careful and wait for a big spell to come around. And similarly, um, Vesuvian Duplomancy is a relatively new card, but it's one of those cards that I remember looking at thinking... I love that card and I'm never going to build a deck for it. Mm -hmm. um, whenever you cast a spell that targets only a single artifact or a creature you control, you create a token that's a copy of that artifact or a creature. I, I just couldn't fathom what deck I would ever build that would run that. Well, that Ichtekic deck, I built it as a blink deck so I could blink Ichtekic and the various other things that are splicers that make golems. Well, suddenly now I have the ability to anything I target to blink I make a copy of that thing that then comes into play and brings another golem with it. Like it's, it was a perfect deck for it. And I, it was a card that I was sure I was going to have sitting around for years looking for a home for. And it just so happened right after it came out, I built the perfect deck for it. So, so don't give up. You will eventually find something for these cards. I love that. 
Yeah, being patient with everything and just reminding yourself whenever, uh, you know, every now and then you're building a new deck, go through all those cards that you have laying around. I can just move to the side and, and you see all the cards I have laying around behind me. And there's a <laughs> lot of them. And so anytime that I, I build a new deck or I'm looking at ways to kind of tinker around with decks, just go through those piles of cards. I we, we know that you have them, everyone. We know that you have boxes of cards that you're not really using right now. And you've always wanted to put a home in them. Just just look through that every now and then and it's like, oh yeah, this would be fun in my X deck. And then just give it a try. Don't don't kind of, well, but I, I want to try this card first. Just, just give it a try. Don't kind of get in your own way. Don't make things harder than it needs to be. Just <laughs> pull out some random card, throw that one in there that you want to try. And, may, and maybe you surprise yourself too. Maybe something just jumps out and you you discover something new about the deck too. That's mm -hmm. It's why we play the game. It, it's so much fun to, oh yeah, I wonder what this would be like. And then you try and you're like, oh, that was so much better than I thought it would be. And and for me on this, I feel like having these cards that like, oh, I, I can't wait to try and find a place to make that work has actually led to me eventually years down the line creating decks that are like among my favorites. Like the reason that I was so keen to build a Felice Reverent Medium deck or just a black white tokens deck in general is because of Maw of the Obsidod, which was just one of my favorite black white cards. You sacrifice a creature and pump up your team. And I wanted a deck that would be able to facilitate that ability to have a bunch of stuff. And then eventually Felice came out. It was our commander legends preview card and i was like this is perfect this is exactly what i've been looking for so that i can finally play the maw of the obsidot in the environment that i wanted to ah at long last or uh with my babala saga deck one of the reasons that she's so fun for me isn't just because of what the commander does but it's also because i had wanted to have Mazarek in the 99 of one of my decks for a long time and babala saga also gains life and i was just like "Ooh, can i use blossoming bog beast in this deck as a potential win condition because she gains life and blossoming bog beast will do a bunch of stuff if i've gained life like those are also experiences that like those decks are now some of my favorites because for years I was thinking of how can I make these cards work and then eventually the stars finally aligned and it's way fun as a result of that so yeah guys I love that advice and I love but you know don't give up on these it might take a little while but when when they finally do get their chance to shine boy are they gonna yeah I, I totally agree Joey so with that said why don't we go ahead and, and uh do as we did when we opened let's clean everything up a little bit um Joey <laughs> Joy was a little all over the place, but wow, <laughs> we, that doesn't mean it has to stay dirty. Let's let's get clean here. Um, why don't we? Uh, why don't we head out now? Oh, wow. Okay. Yes, Matt. Indeed, we shall. <laughs> Trying to just my se my segue ability is in tatters, same as my curtains. Uh, oh my god! All right, <laughs> listeners, we'd love to hear from you about the cards that you can't quite justify putting into decks. What are cards that you wish you could play a little bit more? Decks that you're just hoping to, uh, cards that you're hoping to get a, a deck for them one of these days. Definitely let us know all about it. And when folks do want to get in touch with us, fellas, where is it that they can contact us on the onlines? So you can find me on the social medias at Mathemus55 on pretty much any platform. Uh, don't forget we are streaming. We stream Wednesday nights over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecast where we have guests on whenever we stream. And it's always a blast. So make sure you tune in for that as well. And Dana? You can find me on Twitter at Dana Roach. I'm writing articles for EDH Rec and Commander's Herald. And you can find all of us together at patreon.com slash EDHRecast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz, and you can find the cast at EDH Retcast, basically anywhere online. Plus, if you've got a question for us, you can contact us at EDHRetcast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to Chase for assisting me with the post-production of the show. You can find them online at Mana Curves. And listeners, we'll be back at you next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember, EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. Hey!